gratitude series has become come as almost a, a helpful challenge, right? Because there's such big stuff that we're facing within our little community of prayers that we're praying and the gaps we're standing in and the things that people have shared about that I know this season has been particularly hard for gratitude. But the wonderful thing is that it's a biblical principle that is so good for us in every single season, in every mountaintop, in every valley. If we can figure out gratitude and thanksgiving and giving our praise and thanks to God, man, it is good for us. It builds such fantastic things. And so we are celebrating with you, those of you who felt like this has been a mountaintop season and gratitude's been easy. And we're celebrating and praying for those of you who feel like you're right at the coalface at the moment, right in the valley. We are praying that this beautiful turning towards Jesus would see that magnificent, powerful name of Jesus at work. It's good for all of us. And as we wrap up today, we've had a few lovely little P words, God's promises and God's presence. Today I want to talk about how grateful we are and how thankful we are that we have a God who always provides for us in every single season. And I want to start with the statement that I don't think it's possible, having read Scripture as much as I have, and hopefully some of you are seeing this as you go through the Bible regularly, daily, and in community. It's almost impossible to separate God's provision from His presence and promises. They go so tightly together. It's impossible to take away God the provider who will give us exactly what we need, that manner that was shared about this morning. You can't separate God as provider from the God who is present amongst us and the God who makes promises because he doesn't do it. He loves to say, I want to take a group of people into the life I have for them, the promised land, the new covenant that I have for them. I want to be their God amongst them. That's the centerpiece of, and present amongst them. And I want to protect and provide for them and keep all my promises. If you want a meta-narrative, an overall snapshot of what the Bible and what Christianity is, it's God wanting to make a people under his presence with his protection and his promises and his provision. And so I want to talk about this morning what it's like to have God our provider. And so important, later today, in just over an hour or so, a few of us, maybe some of you are joining to go to Tolatunda, some others are coming and joining us there. We're going to drive through Hillcrest, past what I think is either the 10th or the 11th wealthiest suburb in South Africa. These fantastic big estates that God has provided for people in those situations. And then we're going to turn left, and about two minutes later, we're going to be in a very impoverished situation with hundreds of thousands of people living very, very economically vulnerable. I would like to be able to eyeball both those groups of people and everyone in between and say to them, I want to tell you this morning with absolute confidence that in every single season, God is your provider, He is able. And he will provide every need that you have according to his riches and his glory if you will turn towards him. The gospel and the good news of Jesus' provider is as important for every single one of those suburbs and everyone in between as we drive around later this morning. How can that be? How can that promise be true when we see such big division and such big separation? Well, I think it solves a different pain points for different people, but I think the solution of God presenting himself and going, I want to be your provider, I want to be your protector to every single group of people is something that we have to cling to tightly this morning. So let's have a little unpack on how that works and how we can be grateful that God is our provider. I wish I'd bought my um, charismatic hanky this morning. You know, some charismatic preachers have a hanky and they dab every now and then. I would have been able to use it three or four times already this morning. So excuse the humidity expressing itself wonderfully this morning. A little framework that I think is always helpful when you're trying to understand 
what is God doing on earth? What are the answers to some of the big pain points and things and separation and, 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 and problems that we see around us? Here's a little framework that I want to give you and that hopefully you'll be able to camp in through this Christmas season and think about it a little bit more. And it's four questions. Question number one, right at the beginning of Scripture, what did God intend at the beginning? Because God's a designer, right? He's an architect. He's a creator. And when he creates things, as we'll see in a second, there's a purpose and a point to it. And so we can start at the beginning of Scripture in the creation story and learn a whole lot about what God intended. What he intended for the relationship between man and God, relationships with one another, our work, our purpose, our interaction with creation. We can learn a whole lot about what God intended at the beginning. So question number one, what did God intend when we look at the creation story? Secondly, right at the other end, the bookend that we talked about a few um, weeks ago, what is the end picture? You may not be one of those people that when you get a mystery novel or when you get a new on Netflix, you jump to the end and have a little look to find out what's coming. I know that some of you are just like me and love to go to the last page and find out where you're going because it makes the story more interesting. Is there anyone else like me that'll go to the end of a mystery book? Yes, there's three of us. Thank goodness. That's the majority. Where two or more are jumping to the end page, God is amongst them. I don't know why I do it. I've always been like this. I love to know where we're going so that I can understand a whole lot of the story and the writing. One of the beautiful things about our faith is we are not left rummaging in the dark going, Jesus, where's this ship going? What does the end picture look like? We have a really clear picture of how this thing is going to end. And it's good, beautiful news to those who are shouting out and clinging to the name of Jesus. So what did God mean in the beginning? Where are we headed to at the end? And then where are we now? Let's orient ourselves in this between the real and the ideal, between the circumstances we are facing now and the one day we're going to get to. What's going on now? What's, what might God be doing in and amongst us right now, and, what's, and then question number four, what's he therefore asking us to do, and how do we respond? And so that's the little framework as we navigate through this morning. So let's start at the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2. I, I won't read the whole thing, but I'd love you to go and read, again, the first two and the last two chapters of Scripture at some point over this Christmas holiday. But when we look in the beginning, what do we see? We see this amazing God who's creating and designing that architected work. And maybe the one thing I want to highlight here for this particular message, because there's so much richness in those texts, is that whenever God creates something, He creates things that are able to create and grow other things. Have you ever noticed that? God creates this perpetual, ongoing beauty and creation and purpose. So when we make stuff, it tends to be finite. We build a music stand or we make a toy car or we do come up with something and it tends to have a start point and an end point. Man makes things out of what's already around, but God creates out of the vast potential of the universe. And so he makes trees that become, can become other trees and he makes plants that can become, become other plants and animals and humans. And he says, be fruitful and multiply because he wants his creation to be this ongoing celebration of his power and his creativity, and his fantasticness throughout the world. And so God creates with all this potential, and he puts us in this paradise, magnificent situation where we are in relationship with him and in good relationship with one another. And then he says, before he's finished with Adam and Eve, he says, you know what, I've created all this magnificent stuff, but there's no one yet to tend to the garden. There's no one yet to steward and take care of what I want to do. And so I'm going to come up with mankind. I'm going to put them as the stewards of this creation to be fruitful and multiply and to enjoy this paradise that they've been given with everything that they need. The way God starts this picture, the beginning point that we can learn a whole lot when we're thinking about God our provider, is God gives us everything we need as a starting point 
and then says, steward and take care of what I've given you so that it can be fruitful and multiply and take care of more needs. That's the original design behind work and creation with God as provider. And so what was their job? What was the role of Adam and Eve? And what's the role of us in creation? It's to tend it, to steward to the things that God has already made and to take care of the resources that he's given us. So our first thought this morning is this, and it's the biggest one, because if we can get our head around this, and I don't expect it to happen in a moment, it's a journey for most of us, but if we can get our head around this, a whole lot of the pressure and stress that we live under as men and women and humans on earth can start to be alleviated, and it's this. We have two choices when it comes to resources. We can either think that we save and spend our own money that we generate and work for and deserve. Or we can decide that actually we are stewards of God's resources and money. But it can never be both. Can I say it one more time? We can either decide that I am the generator of resource and stuff, and so I will spend and save according to what I've come up with. Or we can go, actually, everything that I will ever have in my life, every cent that comes my way, every resource and thing and gift that comes my way, is God's. And I want to steward it with the best of my ability. Why it's so important is when you are living as the provider of your life for yourself or for your family or for multiple generations, when you genuinely believe that it's our hard work that's going to produce the stuff and our great ideas and our solutions, and when we try to become the capital P provider, the pressure of trying to create and come up with solutions and always provide is crushing because it wasn't meant for people. The capital P provider in Scripture is God saying, I give people everything that they need and ask them to steward it and be fruitful and multiply. And it might from the outside seem like a very subtle difference. No one can know right now what's going on in your mind or in your heart about how you see resources and how you see provision, but man, it can take stress on your internal world, right? Because when that day hits... When the day when things aren't going according to plan, when the solutions aren't coming, when it feels like the whole world is conspiring against our creativity and ability to provide, that pressure is crushing. And friends, I don't want us to live under that if there is an invitation to something else with God as the capital P provider. The starting point is God goes, here is what you need. I will provide your resources. I will give you all you need. Steward what I've given you. And the end point is very, very similar The picture of the eternal city, this revelation city, this new world that God is taking us to one day, has walls and fences made out of the most opulent gemstones and riches and wealth that you can imagine. It says that God himself is the sun, sustaining the whole thing. We don't need the sun anymore because God's presence is this beautiful light. It says he is the temple in the middle of it, and so there's this accessibility to God always, forever. But the nature of what we have as we're invited to this meal, this eternal supper with the Lamb, as we're invited to inhabit this new city, is there is more than enough for everybody. But the challenge from Revelation, in my paraphrase, is this. There's only one seat on that throne. And we know that when it comes to worship and lordship and salvation. We know we can't look to ourselves to save ourselves from our own sin. And we know that we can't look to ourselves as the object of worship. Or hopefully we know that. But it's the same with the throne of provision. There is one seat in eternity with the provider who gives us all we need. And if we try and sit on it, 
we miss out on this open hand of God that wants to give us everything that we need, whether it's manna day by day or whether it's this magnificent eternal city with opulence and more than we could ever need. God wants to know that he is on that throne and he'd love to be on that throne. So the start point and the end point are really obvious, but where are we now? How, how are we doing with this thing about provision? I would wager to guess that the two major stress points for most of South Africa, and I would say most of the room, are one, this relationship isn't working like I thought it would, and I don't know what to do. And number two, and maybe they flip-flop between one and two, is I don't know what I'm going to do for retirement one day. I don't know what I'm going to do for a meal tomorrow. I don't know what I'm going to do with this credit card debt. Right? We, if it's not you, it's someone very close to you that's trying to figure out this thing of provision right now. It is such a big stress. And the beautiful thing is we don't have to flap around in the dark wondering what are we supposed to live like because Jesus comes marching into the middle of one of the most corrupt and broken and unequal societies. And one of his most popular teachings was on what? I want to talk to you about stuff. I want to talk to you about your resources. I want to talk to you about the things that are weighing heavy on your mind and your heart. Why? Well, because Jesus was an Italian evangelist who needed a new Land Rover, right? He needs stuff from us. Hey, he needs our money. Of course not. Jesus, who has no need, who has everything from his Father, who can conjure up any lack in a moment, needs nothing from us, but desperately wants something for us. And when you come across someone, and you probably won't come across another person like this in your whole life, who has everything you could ever think of and needs nothing and wants nothing from you, we should probably listen to what he's got to say about the things he's talking about. And Jesus would like to go, I don't want you living under this heavy burden. I don't want you living and stressing about the wrong stuff. And he says it in this way. I want you to know, friends, sitting here this morning, it is impossible to have two masters. It is impossible to eagerly look with all your mind and heart and soul after Jesus and what he wants and to look after money and what you think it means. You have to choose your master, and you can't have two. No A and no B, no first and second, no matter how big the gap is. Mammon is an awful, awful master. And so many of us live under it that it actually, after a while, starts to speak to us. We wake up and we dream about it. Money and things and our future speak to us and invite us and promise us and impact our decisions. And so our our choice here is we're living in this between how God meant it and how God one day is going to make it to be. We get to choose who we will serve as the master. And here is our choice in this when it comes to God the provider. Either God's money and God's resources and God's stuff serves us as we serve Jesus because it's meant to be a servant of the mission of Jesus and the purpose of Jesus on earth. So either, choice number one, God's money and stuff serves us as we serve Jesus as the master in his mission and plan, or we serve money and it becomes our master. It's the choice we have this morning. And again, it might from the outside seem like, well, who's getting this thing right? Are wealthy people getting it right? Are happy people getting it right? Are contented people getting it right? This morning, only you and Jesus, only you and God can actually know who your master is and whether you serve mammon or mammon serves you. 
But Jesus invites us and says, turn to the master, and I want to show you a way to live beautifully with God as your provider from today and forevermore. And it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a quick decision that you make once and that you never have to think about again. It might be one of the things that you keep having to come back to and going, God, would you search my heart? Would you heal me? Would you help me? God, would you please make this thing real to me? Because at the moment, it feels so far away. But the invitation is there. So how do we do that? How do we possibly stop obsessing about the next bit of income or the next level or the next day or the next year or the next holiday or whatever it might be that's consuming our headspace right now? Well, there's a couple of beautiful things in the letters that Jesus writes to his church through a bunch of people. And I want to read a couple of them this morning. The first is a promise from Philippians. And Paul's writing to this church that is from day one has been supporting the mission of Jesus on earth. And he says this magnificent statement. I'm well supplied. I've learned contentment in every circumstances. But what I want to tell you, church, is that my God will supply every need of yours according to what? Your good behavior or decisions? My good behavior or decisions? How will God provide all of our needs? It's according to his riches and his glory in Christ Jesus. And to that God the Father be glory and glory forever. Amen. Amen. It says amen in the scripture. I wasn't calling for one there, but I'm glad that it came out so nicely. I want to ask a simple audit question. You don't have to tell anyone, but it will tell you a little bit how you're going on this journey. When the need pops up, what's the go-to default? Is it, I need to tell that person so they can help? Is it, I need to come up with a plan? Is it, A person? Is it a solution? When the need comes up, what's the default thing that you go, that's the thing that's going to solve this? If the government could just sort out their corruption, if I could just land that job, if I could just get this person to hear me out. Those are all fine things that can help us and that God can use magnificently. But it's Jesus who says that that his God will supply all of those needs according to his riches. And the default of going, when I come up with that thing, when it's, whether it's a healing, whether it's a salvation story, whether it's a family member we're praying for, or whether it's our provision, if our default can become that a, there's a genuine belief that when we turn to Christ first, every need we have will be met in God according to his riches and glory. We start to get on this right track. And the second principle comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And it says this. God loves a cheerful giver, is the title. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Everyone must decide in their own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God will be able to make all grace abound to you, so that having everything you need from all sufficiency in all things at all times. Do you think the writer is trying to drive something home here? In all things, at all times, with every possible solution, grace will abound in every good work, as it is written. The one who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. The God who gives two things, seed to those who sow and bread to those who need to eat, will continue to provide what you need. What's the principle we see here in Corinthians? God loves to get us to steward everything that he's given us 
And what he invites us to do is to eat that mammon that was shared about in that word and to go, I want you to know that it's in my heart to give you what you need. The bread that you need to eat, which symbolizes the things you need for yourself and for your family and sustenance and to get you through to tomorrow when he can give you more bread. He's the God who provides bread for eating. Every single meal, every single cent, every salary, he is the one who provides. But the same God who provides bread for eating also provides something else. It's called seed for sowing. And one of the problems, or two of the problems, and and there's one smaller group and one bigger group, is that a whole lot of us, what we do is we eat the seed, right? We go, I'm so worried for my kids. I'm so worried for the future of SA. I've been hurt so many times before that what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and store and hoard up everything I can and take some shortcuts and keep everything for myself. But the God who gives bread for you to eat also gives seed for you to sow into the mission of God, into those who have less, into others who are in temporary need. And when we stop being a people who sow generously, I think it hurts us. I don't think it affects God at all because he has everything that he needs, right? He doesn't need anything from us. So why is he asking us to become a people that regularly sow and says to you the way that you sow, the way that you give, the way that you faithfully use your resources is going to directly impact how many more resources and harvest I can give you. You want to know what next week and next month and next year's bread looks like? What does today's seed look like? Has this thing freed up your heart? Are you able to sow? The much smaller group are people who sow their seed and their bread and lack wisdom and don't go, oh, actually, God's given you some stuff for you, and so make sure that you're taking care of yourself as well. But it's a much smaller group of us. Most of us, what we do is go, well, if I can just scoop off a little bit of the seed, right? The Israelites did it. If I can just take a little bit more bread and a little bit more quail, and what happens? It ends up going rotten, and we end up not trusting in our Father. I want to wrap up with a little story of how this has jumped into my heart, and I really, really hope, I want to start with a disclaimer. This is a long journey for me as well. The Nats are regularly having to come back around the prayer table and go, how are we doing in this thing? How are our hearts going at the moment? Because there are big things that come our way. But I hope that Jesus will very much be the celebrity and the hero of the story, because when I was 17 and a half years old, around about there, I met Jesus. And I was well on my way up until that point to... Going to university, I got just enough points to get into a BCom, like all good white boys in the, uh, in the early noughties. So I was going to become an accountant. It's my terrible joke. Shoot, Rory, where are you? <laughs> BCom and accountant. Yeah, okay. It's good. Become. It's fine. I'll, we'll, I hope that lands better in the 9.30 service. Just kidding. We don't have a 9.30 service. So God saved me, spoke to me, and I ended up pausing that and going, I'll go do that later, but what I want to do instead is go become an intern for this church that I got saved at called Grace Family Church, and I want to go learn what it is like to, to work for the church. But the amazing thing is they said, okay, you can become an intern, you just need to raise your own salary. And so if you can find people to sponsor you money for the year, a thousand rand a month, but we'll give you 880 because you've got to, you know, we'll take the, the tithe off the top, then you can become an intern. So I went around to my mates and some buddies in the church and said, hey, you know, how's a couple hundred bucks a month? And thankfully, a whole lot of people jumped in and said, cool, we'll sponsor you. And so I was an 18-year-old trying to figure out how to budget 880 rand a month, which back then was uh, about as little as it sounds. And so, um, you know, between the, 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 the petrol and the, you know, having to chip in a little bit at home with rent and all that stuff, I remember being in church and starting to hear some testimonies of these people where God had come through as an unbelievable provision. And so there was a couple of stories. The one that I remember 
is this person, they um, felt challenged. They weren't in an economically amazing situation, but they felt challenged to give like this envelope of money to another family in the church who was in dire straits. And so they did this thing. They gave it, and they were like, we don't know where that money is going to come from. And the next Sunday in church, to the rand, and it was a funny random amount, someone else gave them an envelope they couldn't have known that directly took care of everything that they'd sown. And I was like an 18-year-old new Christian going, this is amazing. Like, you give here, you sow here, you reap here. And then there was another story, and I think it was the same service or the same preaching series at least, where someone sowed something and they gave something away. It was into like a, um, like a, like a church investment or something that they were trying to figure out how to help people. And the next month, 10 times that amount came out of nowhere into their bank account. And I'm sitting there going, this is amazing. I've got 880 bucks a month, but worst case scenario here, if I start giving to people, I'm going to either break even, or I might end up with like eight grand to try and figure out what to do. That's a lot of petrol for a Honda Ballard back then in the early noughties. So anyway, I, 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 it wasn't all that like, um, selfish, but I felt challenged towards the end of this that I knew there was this lady that I had been having a conversation with that was in like a, a hand-to-mouth, real desperate situation. And I had my last like week to go until payday where I'd get my next 880 bucks. And I was like, that's got to see through my petrol tank and it's got to see through my food. Otherwise, I'm going to be eating like dry toast for the next week and sitting at home. But I kind of wrote a little note and a little scripture and a prayer. And I put this last, I think it was 140 or 150 rand into an envelope. And I went and gave it to this lady. You want to know what happened? The most amazing thing. I ate toast and sat at home for a week. (laughs) Because no money came my way, no envelope with the same amount, no 10x investment, no like early stage crypto kind of boom, bounce back here. But you know what was beautiful is it started a little bit of a journey of God getting into my wallet as much as he got into my heart going, hey, I want you to know that when you trust me, when you sow to me, I'm going to use you to do things that you would never imagine. And when you're sitting at home, that week of sitting there, it started very grumbly, but it ended up in a whole lot of very life-clarifying, hearing-from-God prophecies that would start a now 21-year journey in working for churches and being in ministry. So later on in the journey, um, as God kind of started to jump into that and challenge me on stuff, um, I was uh, in my early 20s, and we felt this prompting as a couple of mates to buy a car for a missionary that was living in kind of the Cape Flats um, situation like she it was a young single lady and she was walking or taxiing from like the most hectic situation to hectic situation and we wanted to be able to bless her and so we kind of got together it was about eight of us and bought this lady uh, a car um, it was a 1987 Opel Cadet painted with blue wall paint um, so it's very very sexy and attractive but a whole lot of us youngsters students and people at school chipped together what we can drove this thing across the country and gave it to her. And long story short, it kind of opened a floodgate of generosity and God challenging me and challenging us as a community and as a, later as a family to start taking risks on the kind of people that we wanted to be, even when it really hurts. And in Cape Town, just before we left, um, a little bit of a boast about Christy, who, who's just her, her phenomenal strength. Is she was so get into the life of an individual or two that's in her realm and completely transform and turn this person's life around with opportunity and prayer and mentoring. And so, for example, uh, she's done this a bunch, but the most recent one in Cape Town was there was a, a cleaner in her classroom in the school she was teaching at, and she, of her own accord, helped this lady to become a trained-up teacher's assistant to then become uh, able to study to become a full-time teacher because her um, Nontombi's dream was to be able to open a creche in this place called Crossways, which, if you know Cape Town, is probably one of the most violent situations in Kailicha. 
And so she was dreaming of this thing, and Christy was investing and loving her and pouring in. And you know where the story is going. Is eight cars later, because I've had the real privilege of God seven other times going, I want you to sacrifice. I want you to find a group of people. I want you to get together and either give away the one you've got or buy one and bless someone with um, these seeds that I want you to sow. And I loved my Mitsubishi Lancer, guys. I loved this car so much. And Christy kind of came and sat on my shoulder and went, well, wouldn't it be amazing? Because one of the problems with this crash situation was that kids can't walk around those streets. So the only way to make this thing viable was this lady needed a car so that her or her nephew could go around and fetch all these kids and take them to this crash so they could actually get a quality kid for education in the middle of the country. And so between 2004 and 2021, I've had the privilege of being a part of eight of these little miracles, of being able to save up and invest, either as a group of us or as a family or as an individual, and bless these people. And can I tell you, some of those stories are absolutely amazing miracles of what God's done, and some of them I regret a little bit because, like, the situation didn't go well. But every single one of them, every single one of them, I would do over again in a heartbeat because what it does in your heart and what it does for your freedom when God uses you for a very, very minor thing that's the parallel journey of about 15 years of God jumping in there. But I want you to know the, the other thing that's been happening. So when I was in that stage of working for Grace Family Church, I got my first prophecy from someone. Have you ever got a, a prophecy where someone hears a picture or a word from God and shares it with you? The prophecy was that, and I've had a bunch of them in my life, but these ones I remember the most because it's always been the same one no matter every, every stage of my life where someone will go, I just want you to know I see a whole lot of these international flags this picture of these different flapping flags and whether it's an embassy or whether it's European countries or whatever it is, I, I see this international flag kind of thing going on. And so I've regularly had that. And that started to open a little bit of excitement for a young guy to travel the world because I hadn't had an opportunity to do that too much. And I'll spare you the, the long detail of it. But the celebration for me is that last year when we went to go celebrate um, my grand's 90th birthday, um, it is the eighth overseas trip since... 2005, that's been 100% paid for by someone else that I didn't ask for, that I wasn't really searching out, but whether it was a family member or a stranger or a pastor from a church in Joburg that I kind of sort of knew or a group of people, they've clubbed together and sent me to go house-sit in Virginia and America, to go learn from churches um, in the UK. And I've had the privilege of being in another country looking at these foreign flags, celebrating that I'm having this holiday 100% on Jesus' money. Because I know my bank balance, and I know my budget, and I wouldn't have been able to do it. Now, here's the point of that long, rambling story that I, I hope is going to make Jesus the, the hero of this thing. is If you work out the maths, if you're very cynical on this, if I just crossed out those two sides of the equation, don't give away any cars, you'll have enough money to go overseas whenever you want, Right? You can just pay for your own trip. So instead of putting 20 grand into an Opal or 30 grand into a Mitsubishi, just buy your own plane ticket to go overseas. What's the problem with that? Is you miss out on joy twice, right? The joy of being a part of a story where God challenges you to sow and to give because he's your provider who has everything you need and the joy of being on the receiving end of someone going out of the blue, I wanted to give you this thing. I wanted to pass this thing on to you. Now, friends, I started with the thing of God has no need I want you to know that like, we're not in trouble as a church. We're not up here preaching on money or giving because we need anything from you. And in fact, if that's your suspicion, but you'd still like to enter into this journey of saying, please sow somewhere else. There are so many good churches and organizations. We, we're not standing up here going, we have a huge need. We're standing up here this morning. I'm standing up here this morning going, I would love this church 
to be marked by a freedom from the burden of finances and trying to be a provider when Jesus has said, my God will provide every need you have according to his riches and his glory in Christ Jesus. So here's your bread to eat and here's your seed for sowing. Please, church, take this thing seriously because it is so, so good for your soul. Amen.